You are listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's program is entitled Eliminating God. Hello my radio friends. Welcome to the program today and thanks for joining me. Someone said to me recently that things change. What they said was quite true. Culture changes, technology changes and we change whether we like it or not. Those who are older often lament the changes because they feel that the world is becoming more and more hostile and insecure. One of the social trends, especially here in Australia, is a trend towards secularism, and that's what I want to address today. If it was possible to hop in a time machine and dial in to go back a century, it's a hundred years, to the early 1900s, World War I was beginning to turn in favour of the Allies, and most Australians believed in God. People had a strong sense of duty, and it seems that they were morally pure than what we see today. Mind you, I'm speaking about society in general, and I recognise that not everyone is bad. On the contrary, there are some beautiful people who do good and are pillars in our society. But if they were removed from society, I wonder what the world would be like without them. By and large, we live in a godless culture. Why then has this happened? How come we've moved from where most people believed in God to where only a minority recognise and honour God? I think... There are at least four major factors, they being humanism, influence of technology, higher learning, and the influence of the enemy. In some previous programs, I've shared with you about the origin of sin and evil. In case you missed hearing it, here's a brief summary. Sin started in heaven when one of the chief angels became filled with pride about himself. This pride grew to the degree that he, Lucifer, wanted to be like God. He then set himself up in opposition to God and started a whisper campaign amongst the other angels. Because of Lucifer's rebellion, he was eventually cast out of heaven and ended up here on planet Earth where he tricked Adam and Eve to disobey God's instructions and go along with him. At that point of time, sin entered the Earth and has been affecting human beings ever since. The conflict between God and Satan is known as the Great Controversy, and you can read about this in Revelation chapter 12, Isaiah chapter 14, and Ezekiel chapter 28. Although Satan, once known as Lucifer, 
is a defeated foe, he is still active and uses any means possible to oppose God. One of those ways is to try to eliminate the knowledge of God, of his love and grace, and about the way of salvation. Humanism, technology and higher learning are just some of the tools Satan uses to attempt to eliminate God, or at least the knowledge of God. Let's consider humanism first. Humanism and communism are concepts which claim that God doesn't exist and that belief in God is some archaic residue of the past that should be rejected. Humanism could probably better be described as evolution. What was once taught as a theory has now become so well accepted and widespread that it is taught as fact. It is also taught as science, although the claim that evolution is science cannot be substantiated. What I consider to be a lie that is evolution is taught as truth. Recently, while I was watching one of the David Attenborough documentaries on television, David said something curious that made me wonder. He said something about evolution's plan. Does evolution have a plan? I've always understood evolution to be that things, changes that is, happen only by chance. There is no guiding intelligence and no guiding force. There is no blueprint and nothing to direct any changes to occur. Chance and long periods of time are evolution's operatives. If evolution had a plan, then that implies that some superintelligence must be present. And if that's the case, then the evolutionist will have to make a philosophical shift and join those like me who subscribe to the intelligent design explanation of origins. And, of course, if there is intelligent design, there must be an intelligent designer. That designer is explained in the first book of the Bible as God. The Billy Graham of evolution in recent times is Richard Dawkins, who is probably now less able to promote his ideas because he had a stroke a while ago. Dawkins has been the subject of much admiration as well as much criticism. He's written many books and publicly debated many opponents to evolution. A few years ago, Dawkins was interviewed by a journalist. The interview was recorded. The journalist asked Dawkins to explain about how life started. Dawkins propounded that the first life was a simple cell arising from a mix of non-living chemicals. That cell then, supposedly, developed the ability to reproduce, that is, to self-replicate. 
also to eat, to digest, to move, and so on. Dawkins went on to expound that the commencement of life was a scientific fact. The journalist then innocently asked Dawkins to explain about the chemicals and the processes those chemicals underwent that brought about life. Dawkins replied, um, We simply don't know. Excuse me? You don't know what happened, yet you teach it as a set-in-concrete fact? That's ridiculous. Life supposedly developed from non-living chemicals, but no one has ever been able to observe it or explain it, not even the widely acclaimed Richard Dawkins. The scientific fact is not a fact at all. It was, and still is, pure supposition. In other words, the so-called science of evolution makes a colossal claim that cannot be substantiated. And that's very much like claiming that the moon came about because a star in the Milky Way sprang a leak and milk dripped down near the earth, then gravity turned it into a ball of Wensleydale cheese. It's all very well to make a claim, but if that claim cannot be substantiated, then no one has any right to teach it as fact. To maintain a belief without a single shred of evidence to support it is not just blind faith, it's rank lunacy. But that is exactly what has happened with the teaching of evolution. And around the world, there are schools and other educational institutions that impose the evolution lie on unsuspecting students, while at the same time they exclude the truth of creation by God. The Bible makes the claim that God created the heavens and the earth. Why should anyone believe this claim above the claim made by evolutionists? As far as I'm concerned, there are many things in the Bible, like prophecy, that are testable. In other words, you can test them. The Bible has a 100% prophetic outcome accuracy rating, making it much easier for me to believe in what the Bible says than evolution's teachings, which are based only on assumption. There is sufficient evidence in the Bible for us to accept the biblical accounts of origins as feasible. Because neither evolution nor creationism can be scientifically proven, it requires faith to believe in either. But it requires much more faith to believe in evolution than creation. I think it's Satan's cunning plan to use evolution to try to eliminate the knowledge of God. Satan, the evil one, is only interested in trying to get even with God, 
although that will never happen. Eventually God will completely destroy Satan and his evil angels, along with those who who he has caught in his net of deception. His methods in this day and age are to manipulate people so that they will never come to the realisation that God is good and wants to restore sinful, fallen mankind. Satan also wants to distort the character of God and presents a picture of God as a harsh, unforgiving, demanding, retributive tyrant instead of being a person, a being that is only and always motivated by love. We're going to stop and have a little break and go on straight afterwards. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus And to take Him at His word Just to rest upon His promise And to know the Savior the Lord Jesus, Jesus, how I trust Him How I proved Him more and more Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus Oh, for grace to trust Him more I'm so glad I've learned to trust Thee Precious Jesus, Savior, friend And I know that Thou art with me Will be with me to the end Jesus, Jesus, how I trust Him How I proved Him more and more Jesus, Jesus Precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust Him more. Another method Satan uses to try, try to eliminate God is by filling the minds of people with junk, like sports, entertainment, pleasure, and busyness. If Satan can keep our minds so full with other things that we don't come to a knowledge of God's existence and of his saving grace, he has succeeded. Another of his tricks is to convince people that they know more than God. I've seen this happen when young people who once attended church regularly and seemed to have a relationship with the Lord, went to university. Now young people choose others whom they like as an example to model their lives after. At first children want to be like the parents, but around the time they reach puberty, they look to others to be their heroes. With some, they want to be like their favourite pop stars, 
or movie actors and so on. But when young people go to university, they begin to admire their lecturers and teachers for their learning and knowledge. Satan uses this admiration of distinguished teachers to turn many young people away from God. And many university professors and teachers have fallen into the trap that they are important and influential, so much so that they are proud of their achievements. Often, they seem to have the idea that they know more than God, or that God does not exist, and these ideas are conveyed either actively or passively to their students. Ah, how foolish! God knows much more, and is much more powerful than the cleverest people on earth will ever be. But he's not recognised as such by many college and university teachers, and consequently their students. In other words, in many universities, God is diminished. In these days, machines do much of our work. We have labour-saving devices, instant access to information and social services. And we here in Australia are quite well off. If we get sick and need to go to hospital, we have government-backed medical services that take care of us. If we lose our jobs, there are social service systems that enable us to receive money to maintain life. If we get old and are unable to work for a living, provision has been made so that we may live without being part of the active workforce. That provision is the old age or seniors' pension. The same goes for people with disabilities and for those whose lives become chaotic. If we want an education, the government of this country guarantees free education up until the end of secondary schooling. We have a good standard of living and we live in a great country. So then, who needs God? Everything, it seems, has been provided for, at least in the material sense. But, wait a moment, are there any things we need that are not provided for by government agencies? The answer is yes. We all need a reference point in our lives. We need love, companionship, hope, a sense of worth and forgiveness. We get these needs satisfied by God. He loves us. From that we get a sense of worth. He promises to be our friend. And when we have no earthly friends, God is there, wanting to give and receive companionship. God offers hope. He promises eternal life to those who accept the merits of Christ's death on their behalf. 
because Jesus died and rose from the dead, that is, resurrected, we can depend on it that we too may be resurrected should we die. And then there's forgiveness. God can forgive. He's promised in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The government social service service system can't forgive us and take away our guilt. Only God can do that. The government provides laws which we are all expected to keep, and from time to time those laws are modified. But God provides a reference point for all time, whereby we know whether we are doing right or wrong. His law, the Ten Commandments, is that reference point. Some might think, Ah, we have science, we have technology, who needs God? I'd like to suggest to you, dear listeners, that science and technology, while they may be wonderful in themselves, do not satisfy the longings of the human heart. There's more to life than science, technology, entertainment, pleasure, higher learning and evolution. But Satan has used those things not because they are intrinsically bad, but as a diversion to eliminate the knowledge of God from human beings. Despite Satan's attempts, it is my hope and prayer that you don't be captured by his deceptions, as were the people before the great worldwide flood. The Bible tells what those people were doing. In the words of Jesus recorded in Matthew 24, verses 37 to 39, it says, But as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and they did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man, that's Jesus, be. Satan doesn't care in the least about you. For him, you are no more than a pawn in a chess game. But God passionately cares for you and wants to give you eternal life. And because of this, Satan does his level best to divert your mind and the minds of the human race to keep everyone ignorant and to diminish the majesty and glory of God. My friends, if you have a Bible, read it, because it will lead you to God. And if you don't have a Bible and would like one, contact our producer, Nick, or call the station 
and we will do our best to provide you with a Bible free of charge. Well, that's it for today. Why don't you join me next week? And until then, I wish you blessings and peace and joy. Precious Lord, take my hand, lead me on, let me stand. I am tired, I am weak, I am worn Through the storm, through the night Lead me on to the light Take my hand, precious Lord Lead me home when my ways grows dreams precious Lord linger near when my life is almost gone hear my Take my hand, precious Lord, lead me home. When the darkness appears and the night draws near and the day is past. And gone At the river I stand Guide my feet Hold my hand Take my hand Precious Lord Lead me home Precious Lord Take my hand, lead me on, let me stand. I am tired, I am weak, I am worn. Through the storm, through the night, lead me on to the Take my hand, precious Lord, lead me home.